Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 19, the Word of God says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And together, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. This passage of Scripture is so important to our understanding of who we are in you. And I pray that you'd teach us the beauty of salvation through this wonderful truth of adoption. We are twofold the children of God, by birth and by adoption. And so teach us the beauty of that, we pray. And Lord, if there's one that hears this that's not saved, may today be the day where you understand, open their understanding and help them see their sinfulness, their need of the Savior, and they'd put their faith in you. And Lord, those who are saved, help us to see the, the absolute beauty, the depth and breadth and height of the glorious gift you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. And so this idea of adoption. In this series, we're exploring the beauty of salvation. Uh, last week, we talked about conception. And conception speaks of our connection to God, that new birth that connects us and makes us part of His family. Uh, today, we talk about this, this concept of adoption. And adoption speaks of God's choice. God chose you. You know, when you choose to have a baby, you don't get to choose whether it's a boy or a girl. You don't get to choose their personality, their height, their eye color, their hair color. But no matter what baby is birthed from you, you have this undeniable connection that is through birth. I mean, this is a part of your family. This is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. But when it comes to adoption, there is a choice. And you see the child with all the faults and failures and problems and difficulties. And adoptive parents choose the child. They get to see whether it's a boy or girl, whether it's an infant or uh, someone who's uh, been alive for uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. There, but there is that choice to adopt because of love. Uh, many of us know families who have adopted children, uh, and uh, we even know people who have been adopted, and perhaps you've even been adopted yourself. Uh, adoption is a beautiful thing. I had a friend who uh, was abandoned by his birth parents when he was young, and, but he had a wonderful family that adopted him as a young man. And they treated him just like any other child. I mean, there was no difference. And he had all the rights and privileges. He was called by their name. Matter of fact, I didn't even know he was adopted until years later. And sometimes it's even true for children that are adopted when they're very young. They don't even know they're adopted. Uh, because the, the connection and the love is so real and true. And adoption is a beautiful thing. I was talking this morning in our Sunday school about a different subject, but <clears throat> I've been meditating on this idea that we live in a world where in some states you can get an abortion for free without parental consent. But if you want to adopt a child, it will take you months or years and tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, it's a sad world we live in where it's easier to take a child's life than to bring a child into your family and love them. I think that shows the, uh, how our world is just upside down in priority. And 
adoption is a beautiful thing, and, and uh, adoption can happen because families can't have children. Uh, I knew a, a young couple that just couldn't have children. There was a problem, uh, and, and they would never be able to have children between them, but they had so much love to give. They wanted to love a child, and so they went to great lengths and a large amounts of money to bring uh, children into their family, adopted children. They loved them just as their own. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, a child who had no parents or no hope or maybe would have been reared in the system or in other countries, even orphanages that are uh, subpar standards, uh, but they're brought into a loving family and given every opportunity. This is a beautiful thing called adoption. I know some families that they had children, but they just wanted more children and they had the finances and the love to give. And so they got to the place where they couldn't have any more children, so they began adopting children into their family. And they made no distinction between the, the uh, natural-born children and the adoptive children. matter of fact, I was reading an account of a man, he was a Christian, and he was talking about this concept of spiritual adoption. He said, this is very real to me because when I was young, my parents adopted a child. And he said, he said uh, I wasn't real happy about it as a child. He said, my parents were happy about it. But uh, as a child, I, I was now going to have to share my mom and dad. And my inheritance was going to get split now another way. And he was thinking about it in those terms. But he said, as I got older, I realized how beautiful it was and became very close to his adoptive sibling. And a wonderful story, and he said that that living that out taught him some wonderful truths about what we read here in Romans chapter 8. And so adoption is a beautiful thing. In learning what adoption is, uh, we go to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and uh, Webster says it's the act of adopting or the state of being adopted, the taking and treating of a stranger as one's own child. Then he says, God, one definition of adoption, God's taking the sinful children of men into his favor and protection. That's one reason why I love Noah Webster's earlier dictionaries. Nowadays, the Webster's dictionaries filter out a lot of that spiritual talk. But many times he added uh, spiritual illustrations and definitions. He was a strong believer, Noah Webster. And so uh, good truths there. Uh, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says, Theologically, the act of adoption is the act of God by which believers become members of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of family membership. That's a wonderful thing. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says, Adoption is a legal process whereby one person receives another into his family and confers upon that person familial privileges and advantages. The adopter assumes parental responsibility for the adoptee. The adoptee is thereby considered an actual child, becoming the beneficiary of rights, privileges, and responsibilities afforded to all the children of the family. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful truth that God would take sinners and not just save them to be servants, but save them to be sons and bring them into his family and treat him, treat us as his true children. You know, when we study the Bible, references to adoption in the Old Testament are rare, but inferences can be found. Uh, For today's study, we're not going to look into those. But we do find that the Apostle Paul reveals that God adopted the Israelites. So you're in Romans chapter 8. Look over at Romans chapter 9. And we see the burden of the Apostle Paul for his biological brethren to get saved, the Jews here, uh, verses 1 through 3. He so badly wants them to be saved that he was uh, almost willing that he himself would be accursed or separated from Christ so that they all could be saved. And here we see a strong heart for the lost. And I wonder if we have any heart at all for the lost. Now, it seems to me that many Christians could live their whole lives and never tell anybody about Jesus and, and seemingly... A die without any burden on their conscience at all. Uh, talk about a seared conscience. Every child of God, every believer in Christ ought to have a burden to get the gospel to the lost people around us. We ought to look at our co-workers and neighbors and friends and family without Christ with pity 
and pray for them and ask that God would save them from their sin and a terrible eternity in hell. Here Paul had a heart for the lost Israelites, but then he says in verse 4 through inspiration, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And so the Apostle Paul reveals that God looked at how he treated the Israelites as an adoption. Here you have a man, Abram, and his wife, Sarah, and uh, they were just people. But God looked down and he chose them out. And he said, I want you, Abraham, to be a father of nations. And Sarah, you're going to be the mother of millions. And he chose them. Why? The Old Testament explains that he just set his love upon them. Uh, They didn't have anything special that God needed. They didn't have anything that he could do for them. He chose them and made them special and created an entire nation that for the length of the Old Testament period were God's representatives to the world. But he chose them. He treated them differently. He treated them like family. You know, if if you have neighborhood kids that come over to your house, you're going to give them the respect and and take care of them as you would any child. But they probably don't call you mom and dad. And uh, they're going to go home, but your kids get to stay. There's that special relationship, the special rights and privileges, the access to the parents. The, the protection, the leading, the loving of parents that go with this idea of adoption. And as we look at the Old Testament, we see that God treated Israel very differently than every other nation. And the New Testament reveals that God looked at that as an adoption, that He chose them and made them His own. And God loved the Israelites as a father loves his children. Matter of fact, the Old Testament says this many times, just a couple examples, Exodus 4.22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Deuteronomy 32.6 says, Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he, God, thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? Isaiah 1.2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. See, God looked at the Israelites as his own children. He was their father, and they did have a rebellious heart. And this verse teaches us, among other things, that, you know, just because your kids go bad doesn't mean that you were a terrible parent. God was the perfect parent, and his children still rebelled. You know, in every parent in the room, we have faults and failures, we have gaps, and we wish we could look back with hindsight and see things that we wish we had done differently. But the truth is, if a child wants to obey, they will obey. And if a child wants to rebel, they will rebel. And God ultimately leaves the choice up with them. But we pray and beg the Lord that He would have mercy on them, that they would have a heart bent towards serving the Lord and loving the Lord. By the way, don't give up on your wayward children. I think of the prodigal. Uh, You know, the Bible says the prodigal came home and the father was there to meet him. And I believe every day the father looked longingly down that long lane, perhaps as I see in my mind, and looking for the son to come home. And we ought not lose hope for those that have gone astray. God could bring them home again. Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So we see in the Old Testament this this idea that God adopted the children of Israel, that he chose them to be his own, that he treated them different and special as a father would treat a son. Then we get to the New Testament, and the New Testament explanation of, of adoption is far more thorough and beautiful. And the Bible compares those who've been born again, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as to being adopted into the family of God. Adopting parents choose a child with no biological connection or legal responsibility. They look at this child and say, I choose you to be my own. I determine to make you a part of my family. And this shows, this this concept of adoption shows the beautiful truth that not only are we birthed into the family of God and we have that 
undeniable spiritual connection. But we are adopted into the family of God. And this shows the other side of, of being a child of God, that God chose you. I, as a father, couldn't look ahead and say, uh, I'm going to have a son first, and I'm going to have a daughter, and then I'm going to have another daughter, and this is what their personality is going to be, and this is what, what their lives are going to look like. But God could look down through time and say, I, I know who you are. I know what you're made of. I know all of your sins, and I'm going to choose you anyway if you'll accept Christ. You see the beautiful truth of adoption. Let me give you a few thoughts here about adoption, and then we'll go eat some ice cream. Amen? Number one, humans are lost and dying in a dysfunctional family. Humans are lost and dying in a dysfunctional family. You know, the Bible teaches, and this is an uncomfortable truth, but the Bible teaches that before you are saved, you're actually a child of the devil. You say, no, no, I'm a child of God by creation. No, he's your God by creation. He's not your father. There's a big difference. And people struggle with this, especially if they're trying to be good enough to earn their way into heaven or they have a, an evolutionary atheistic mindset. You know, people are, are generally good. Uh, people are, are just, you know, we're, we're all growing into something good and better. We're becoming gods on our own. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that lost people are the devil's children heading for a hell where they're going to be tormented forever with their spiritual father. John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. You see, those without Christ have an abusive spiritual father. He hurts his own. They suffer from neglect. Satan doesn't care a whit about you. All he wants from you is what he can take from you and the sadistic pleasure he gets out of hurting you and watching you hurt. Satan is an abusive father. He leads you to do wrong and then laughs, watching you hurt, dragging your very soul to hell, watching your body be eat up with the sins and the consequences of sin. He's an abusive father spiritual father if you're not born again today and your father is the devil you're in danger there are children god forbid in our community that they're in danger daddy comes home drunk mama gets high i mean they're in danger and i tell you that as satan being a spiritual father his children are in danger not just of physical death but eternal death but I'm glad that we have a God who sees all of that pain and torture and suffering. And he says, if you will choose me as I have chosen you, I will remove you from that home and make you a part of my very own family. See, the penalty of Satan was conferred upon us when Adam and Eve chose to sin. They died that day in the garden and the sentence of death was passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Don't forget this. Sometimes people will say, well, I'm so mad at Adam and Eve because they chose to sin. Yes, and so did you. And if you had been in Adam's place, if you had been in Eve's place, who's to say that you would have made a different choice? You know, Satan's very good at what he does. And Adam and Eve's mistake was listening to him in the first place. Not that they had some kind of darker evil in their heart. They were perfect. They had no evil in their heart. They had no bent to disobey God. But they listened to the devil. Have we done any less? All the times we've sinned? The times we've even known better? We've felt the sting of sin and go back to it again and again and again? So the penalty of death and hell is passed upon us because we've sinned. But look at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll come back to Romans chapter 8. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us some wonderful information here, wonderful doctrine. We'll get to the wonderful part in just a moment, but let me remind you, the Bible says 
that because we are children of the devil without Christ, that we are also children of wrath. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or behavior in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See that penalty of our father, our spiritual father who is a Satan before we're saved, he was going to take us to hell with him. And, and don't, don't forget, don't buy into this idea that, well, Satan's the king of hell and he's down there drinking an iced tea and he's down there drinking a beer and he's kind of running things. He's going to be a prisoner there. He's going to be tormented and tortured there. Uh, this isn't a far side comic. This is the truth. He's going to be down there burning and suffering for all eternity. And he wants the same for you. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not born again, then today's the day to put your faith in Christ. So you can be saved. We said, number one, that humans are lost and dying in a dysfunctional spiritual family. Number two, God chose to love us and offers us a place in his family through faith in Christ. We, we read verse three. Look at that last phrase again. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But look at verse four. Oh, I love it. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he, hath, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My friend, God looked at us in that dysfunctional family, and he looks at the world that's lost and dying without him, and he says, I want to save you. I'll take you home with me if you let me. I'll adopt you into my family. I'll deliver you from that abusive father and give you a different future. Think about those children who've been adopted and how their future was changed by being adopted into a family that was going to love them and take care of them and set them on a new path in their life. This is what God does for us spiritually. With his great love wherewith he loved us, the Bible says. Romans 5.8 reminds us that but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't save you because he looked down and said, oh, there's somebody worth saving. He didn't save you because he looked down and said, oh, they've got something I need. No, God saved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we didn't love him. He saw through our sin and our suffering and our sickness and said, I choose to love you anyway and I'll make you brand new if you let me. God chose to love us and offers us a place in his family through faith in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. According as he hath, what's the next word? Chosen. Remember I told you adoption is about choice. According as he hath chosen us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. That's before creation that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the what? The adoption of children by who? By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Oh, and then I like verse 6, to the praise of his, the, the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, what's the next word? Accepted in the beloved. Oh, I tell you all the time, Satan works so hard to condemn you even after you're saved. He points out your sin even after you're saved. He'll tell you God doesn't love you. And how could God love you when you've done X, Y, and Z and you've been here and done this and done that? Oh, my friend, God accepts us in the person of Christ. When God looks at his saved children, he doesn't see their sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You are accepted in the eyes of your father. The great truth. The Bible here talks about predestination. Some Christians get this wrong. They think that God chooses who's going to heaven and who's going to go to hell, almost as if God were to go throughout the auditorium today and say, you can go to heaven and you can't. You can go to heaven and you can't. You can go to heaven and you can't. That's not what this verse is talking about. That's not predestination. The Bible says God has chosen us. But how does God choose us? Here's how it works. God says this. I will choose 
anybody that chooses me. And so you get chosen by choosing him. And then when it talks about predestination, all that means is that you and I are linear beings. We live in time one minute after another. God lives outside of time. He sees all of time and experiences all of time at the same time. And that'll, that'll hurt your head if you think about it. But God is in the past like he's here right now, like he's in the future, all at the same time. He's omnipresent. That just doesn't mean everywhere. It means everywhere all the time. That's powerful. You say, wow, that's a big God. It's a mighty God. But think about this. God before creation, before the worlds were ever created, He looked down through time knowing, He said, I'm going to give everybody the choice to choose me. And He looked down through time and He could see who was going to choose Him. And then He said, I am going, I'm predestinating that you're going to get saved, not because I'm choosing for you, but predestination is I already know the choice you're going to make. We do this with our own children. You know your children well enough, you pretty much know the choices they're going to make. Not because you can see into their heart. Like God can, but you just know them well enough. You give them two choices of what to eat, you can pretty much guarantee what they're going to pick. You see them walk up to a situation, you can pretty much guarantee which way they're going to go. Because we know them well enough. And my friend, God knows us infinitely better than you and I know our own children. And so the choosing and the predestination is God says, I know the choice you're going to make. So I'm choosing you. Now I'm before the foundation of the world. I'm already choosing because I see that you chose me. The Bible says anybody can get saved. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. I believe in a whosoever type of gospel. And so God chose to love us. And offers us a place in his family through faith in Christ. You say, how can I be spiritually adopted? By accepting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by asking Christ to be your Savior. That's how you get chosen. That's how you get adopted. Imagine a rich man walking into an orphanage and saying, I'll take anybody home with me that wants me. what God did to us. He came into the world and said, I'll take you all home if you let me. And some in their foolishness choose to stay in the orphanage. Some in their foolishness choose to, choose to stay in that abusive spiritual family where Satan's going to come home at night and beat the devil out of them or into them. But through faith, we are accepted in the beloved. I like that. See, we're saved through faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. He's talking about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And once you get saved, you all become one. But he said, listen, you only get in the family by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You get into the family of God by faith. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Great truth for us. Isn't this good stuff? It's a good Bible. Good God. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. See, we were part of a different family. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, the only begotten Son, made of a woman, and made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Isn't that good? 
See, we get saved through the gospel. We get adopted into the family by believing that God's son was born of a virgin, died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose again. And we accept him as our personal savior. Not that he is a savior, but I'm going to ask him to save me. I'm accepting him to be my savior. If, if Paul Chapman goes to heaven, it will be because Jesus Christ kept his word and saved him. It won't be because I'm a preacher. It won't be because I'm handsome. And we all know that's not true. It'll be because Jesus Christ saved my soul. We said, number one, humans are lost and dying in a dysfunctional spiritual family. Number two, God chose to love us and offers us a place in his family through faith in Christ. Number three, adoption gives us all the rights and privileges of a biological child. When someone is adopted, the law sees no difference between a biological child and an adopted child. They're the same. And one of the most humbling and exciting truths in Scripture is that even though Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that when we are adopted, we are treated as Christ. You say, how's that possible? I know. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are a child of God. We are given all the rights and privileges of being a child of God. Let me show you some wonderful things here. Romans chapter 8. Let's just go through this list here real quick. Romans chapter 8. Adoption gives us all the rights and privileges of a biological child. You see, when you get saved, don't forget when you get saved, you're saved to be a son, but not because of your righteousness, because of whose righteousness? Jesus. So when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees a son. And some of you might get a little pause there when I say he treats you like he treats his son. When he looks at you, he sees his son. The righteousness of Christ in us. Let me show you this, some of these wonderful truths. Adoption gives us all the rights and privileges of a biological child. Number one, that means we get the leading of the Father. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, I counsel people for a living. I don't mind telling people, you know, what the Bible says about things. And they'll come and ask me questions and I'll share with them what the Bible says or different experiences people have had. But, you know, my, my children get a different level of leadership. They're my kids. Years ago, a very wise person came to me and said, I am interested in knowing what to do. And I said, well, I can't tell you what to do. And they said, well, I need you to tell me. And I said, well, here's what the Bible says. And they said, no, tell me what to do. And, and you know, some people think the preachers just love telling people what to do. That's not the case at all. Uh, preachers feel a great responsibility. We don't want to lead people wrong. So we're very careful. You know, it, it's the people that don't feel that sense of responsibility. Like, you should do this, and you should do that, and you should, you know, giving people life-changing advice without any accountability or, or taking any responsibility. That's very dangerous. We all have to be careful who we listen to. Well, they came to me and said, no, no, tell me what to do. And I said, well, I'll tell you, the Bible says this and this, and you need to pray about it. And then they asked a very interesting question. They said, if I was your child, what would you tell me to do? And I said, that's easy, do this. You say, why the difference? Because I have a different relationship with my children. I have a different responsibility with my children. And when you get saved, one of the privileges is that you get the leadership of the Father. It's not just asking a stranger what to do. This is dad. This is the person that cares for you more than anybody else in the world, more than anybody else in your life. And we get the privilege of the leadership of the Father. That's why every Christian should pray and never make a life-changing decision without praying and fasting over it. And every day you pray for the leadership of the Father. Lord, tell me what to do. And go to Him as a humble child requesting what to do. You get the leading of the Father. What's another privileges of, of a, a child? 
Uh, number two, you get the security in the Father. Look at verse 15, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So the Bible says you don't have the spirit of fear. God's not giving you the spirit of fear or anxiety or worry. He's giving you the spirit that you have security in your Father. And let me say to every dad here, let me say to every mom here, one of the greatest gifts that you give to your children is security. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here. When I leave the house, I'm coming home. I'm not looking for a reason to get rid of you. I'm looking, I want a relationship with you until we die and then in heaven. And there's that security that I might disagree with your actions, but I love you. And I might have to condemn this thinking or or this this action over here, but I love you. And that, that unshakable security that we find in our heavenly Father, my friend, you've got to stop worrying about what's God love me, does God not love me? Does God want me, does God not want me? You have security in your heavenly Father. We've now received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption. He's my daddy. You know, a child's in a foster home, and maybe they love that foster home, and perhaps this has been your experience, and you're fitting in well, and you get along with the other kids in, 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 in the house, and, and man, life's finally starting to take a turn, but you know that there's coming a day when you're probably going to have to leave. Oh, but unless they come to you and say, hey, we want to adopt you. We want to keep you here. You don't ever have to leave again. You don't ever have to go to another foster home. I want to be your daddy. Imagine how that changes the heart of the adoptee. Wow, I don't have to leave. That's the security we have in our Heavenly Father. So we have the leading of the Father. We have the security in the Father. Then we have access to the Father. The rest of that verse 15 says, Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is a very personal word, kind of like daddy. Daddy, so your relationship with God isn't just a very formal relationship, Father. Father, may I eat a fig newton? You know, Father, may I borrow the rolls? Uh, it's, it's not that type of relationship. It's a relationship that where you walk in the room, hey, Dad, morning, Dad. Or you get hurt and you're like, you run to Daddy or you run to Mommy. It's that very personal relationship. And, and we have access to the Father. I mean, we can run to God, and He's there for us, not in just a very formal sense. I think about Jesus when He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have put my wings around thee and, and gathered thee? Basically, as a, as a mother does her chicks, but she would not. Do you see the heart of Christ where He says, I want to gather you to me. I want to take care of you. I want to love you, but you won't let me. We see the heart of God that once you get saved, we don't just have a formal relationship with God, but we have a very personal where we can run to Him and say, Daddy, it hurts. Father, it hurts. Daddy, I need you. We have access to the Father. Verse 16, we see we have a confirmation of the Father. Confirmation of the relationship. Verse 16, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, we just need confirmation sometimes. Every child needs to know, hey, I still love you. Hey, I'm glad God put you in my home. Just like every wife needs to hear from the husband often, I love you. Some guys get frustrated. Why is my wife asking me if I love her? Because she needs to hear it again. And if she needs to hear it again, just tell her. And God gives us that confirmation through the Spirit that says, no, I am your dad. No, we are okay. You are saved. And it's that beautiful confirming of our relationship with God. By the way, if you grieve the Spirit and you start living in sin, one of the first things you lose is that confirmation that you are a child of God. That's why often people in sin begin to doubt their salvation. Why? you got so much sin between you and your father. You're just like a broken relationship here on earth. I can't stand my father. My father's so strict. He's got so many rules. Man, my father's got... you got a problem. The problem's not with your father. The problem's with your heart. 
when it comes to your heavenly Father. Oh, but if you make that right, and often the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, God loves you. You're going to be in heaven one of these days. Hey, did you read that verse? That's about you. You're accepted in the beloved. That confirmation. Isn't that good? Every morning my kids get wake up, and I don't do it every morning, but every morning I, I love it and I enjoy it. It's one of the things I look forward to is I'll, I'll seek them out. If they don't find me, I'll find them, and I'll wrap my arms around them, and I'll hug them and tell them good morning and say I love you. It's just that confirmation. When you walk with God every morning, it's like God just whispering in your spirit, hey, I love you. Isn't that good? Verse 17, we see the inheritance of riches. And if a child, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with who? Joint heirs. That's amazing. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We see the inheritance of the riches. And number six, we see in verse 19, the expectation of deliverance. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We can expect God to help us. We can expect our Father to help us. When we're <clears throat> children, and it's happened many times, but just recently, somebody, one of my kids ran into a little bit of trouble. Dad! 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 There was an expectation that I would show up. And see, we can have an expectation that God wants to be involved in our lives, but here we're talking about even the creation itself is looking for the redemption, the expectation of deliverance that you and I have promised to us. And then verse 17, excuse me, verse 21, and number 7, we see the glorious liberty found in our Father. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I want you to look at me. You cannot believe the devil when he tries to convince you that your heavenly father's strict. Well, there's so many rules in Christianity. That's like saying you go to the zoo and you're walking, you're walking through the lion, by the lion pen. You say, oh, this zoo has so many fences. What are all these fences around here for? So you don't get eaten. And the, the rules and the truths in the Scripture are not to pin you in so that you don't have freedom to do what you want. They are to keep the sin out so you have liberty as a child of God. Is it liberty to be hooked on heroin? Is it liberty to be a drunkard? Is it liberty to be... a, 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 a just addicted to tobacco? Is it liberty to be so angry? Is it liberty to be addicted to pornography? I mean, they say, well, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, and, and, and you can die that way. we got to change our thinking, folks. We have a glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that we were in bondage to sin, but now we can be servants of righteousness. We're saved from sin to liberty. Some Christians think you were saved from liberty to bondage. Foolishness. The grace of God delivers us and gives us this glorious liberty. We see these seven benefits and privileges of adoption. Let's finish up here quickly. I'll give you two things real quickly. Number four, believers are twofold the children of God. You're once a child of God through the new birth. This speaks of the undeniable bond of biological connection. We are children of God again through the adoption. This speaks of God's choice. He decided to pick you. He knew what he was getting into when he adopted you. He wants you. Conception and adoption are not competing truths. 
They work together showing us multiple dimensions of our glorious salvation. Let me finish by saying this. Number five, adoption proves the security of our salvation. The security of our salvation. The illustration of adoption in the New Testament has its roots in Roman law. If you think about Jewish law, there was no adoption really in Jewish law. Uh, If a man died, his brother would automatically become the head of that household and they would just be legally swallowed up into that family. So they would always be the family would always be cared for. There was no need for a concept of adoption per se in Jewish society. But in Roman culture, adoption had a very powerful meaning. And what book are we in? In the book of Romans. And so the the illustration of of adoption here has its root in Roman law. God is using the Roman law of adoption to picture and to show the security of our salvation. And in Roman culture, adoption meant four very important things. Number one, it meant the parents freely chose the child, ensuring that they were desired by the parents. Every adopted Roman child knew that they were in that family because the parents wanted them. And you can know that too. You're in God's family because God wanted you. Number two, the adopted child received a new identity. The adopted child received the name of their new father. And you and I who were once in that dysfunctional spiritual family, we have a new identity We have a new father. We have a new family. We're new creatures. Number three, any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts of the adopted child were erased. If you were adopted as a Roman child into a Roman family, all of your old debts were gone. It was a free beginning, a new start. My friend, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you were before salvation in Christ, you are a new creature. All those sins are gone. They're not part of your record. And then number four, and this one's so special to me. According to Roman law, an adopted child could not be disowned by the adoptive family. They became a permanent part of the family. This is an interesting difference in Roman law. According to Roman law, if you birthed a child, you could choose to disown that child. They would not have uh, your name. They would not have your inheritance. You had no legal responsibility to them whatsoever. But according to Roman law, if you chose to adopt a child, you could never disown them. They became a permanent part of your family. And my friends, that is a beautiful picture of the eternal security of the believer. God didn't save you to get rid of you. He saved you to keep you. He went to great lengths to make you part of his family. He's not looking for a reason to get rid of you. We are secure in the family of God. And boy, that that ought to just comfort your heart. And I hope you see the beauty of salvation through this truth of adoption. Let me say these points again by way of review. Number one, humans are lost and dying in a dysfunctional family. If you're lost, Satan's your father. If you get saved, you're removed from that dysfunctional family and birthed into the family of God. Number two, God chose to love us and offers us a place in His family through faith in Christ. Almost like that rich man going into an orphanage and offering to take home and adopt anybody who wants to go. Only a fool would say no. Number three, adoption gives us all the rights and privileges of a biological child. We have the leading of the Father, the security of the Father, access to the Father, the confirmation of our relation. Inheritance of riches, expectation of deliverance, and glorious liberty. Number four, believers are twofold the children of God. Once through the new birth, and second through the adoption. And then number five, adoption proves the security of salvation. 
according to Roman law, which this illustration is based in, the adopted child had four very special truths. Number one, the parents freely chose them and they were wanted. Number two, the adopted child received a new identity. Number three, any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts of the adopted child were erased. And number four, an adopted child could never be disowned. They became a permanent part of the family. My friend, this is the salvation that God has given you. Would you thank him for it? I mean, really, this morning, would you just thank him for it? Would you be grateful? When's the last time you were just overcome with what God's done for you? When's the last time you were just moved on the inside? And then here, of course, if you're not sure you're saved, why in the world would you reject Jesus Christ? I just don't understand it. It'll never make sense to me how such a loving God in such an act of free and available love could make salvation available to anybody. And they would say no. I'll never understand it. It'll never make sense. But those who reject Christ will have an eternity to wish they'd made a different choice as they're tormented in hell. Choose Christ today if you haven't. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we think about the truths you've given us today. We revel in your gift of salvation. We thank you for it. May we just be enthralled with you. May we be overcome by the fullness of salvation, the unspeakable gift. And Lord, salvation truly is beautiful. Heads about, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, we'll have an invitation. If you're here and you're not sure you're saved, we